Thanks for joining us. If there's one word that you are absolutely sick of hearing right now, would I be right in guessing it's the word coronavirus? In fact, possibly, like many people, you've even wondered, why is it so named? Where does that actually come from? Well, in Spanish, uh, the word corona means crown. And apparently the coronavirus is, is so named because when you look at the virus, under a microscope, it's got several little points to it, just, just like a crown does. But a crown is also a symbol of sovereignty, authority, and, and even power. And perhaps sometimes we make that association with the coronaviruses as well. It, it sounds like the word crown. It looks like it's unstoppable and all-powerful. But really, in the scheme of things, where does it belong? And, and should it be at the top of our list? Now, mentally, we all have lists of things that we're thinking about at any given time. Sometimes those lists are so cluttered, it becomes stressful in our heads. Um, and trying to order our thoughts in, in, a, in, a, in a helpful way is, is kind of a 24-7 kind of a deal for most of us, except when we have the luxury of sleep. When you think about the list of things on your mind, what do you think about? Perhaps um, right now you're thinking about um, losses, the things that, things that you're losing that you used to have, particular freedoms, uh, particular securities. But one by one, you're losing this and you're losing this, the ability to do this, the freedom to do that, and there's losses. Perhaps your mind is also busy with the thoughts of opportunities. With every loss comes perhaps an opportunity. The one thing that most of us would have said previously is, we just don't have time. Maybe now you do. <laughs> Maybe not. Either way, our, our head has, has a list of thoughts um, held within there. And the way that we prioritize those thoughts is really important. If, if we prioritize them in such a way that, that certain things have prominence above others, then that can lead to worry, stress, and, and anxiety. And so we need to order those lists very, very, very carefully. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at Acts chapter 4. And we were looking at a phenomenon which, a little bit like a virus, was, was moving forward and, and at an unstoppable pace. In Acts chapter 4, Luke is describing for us the, the church, and he makes a number of observations about the church. They were characterized by a bold witness, faith-filled prayer, and care for the community of, of the church. And it was, it was like this unstoppable force. And if we want to understand where ground zero is for this, for this phenomenon, we have, to, we have to go back earlier, not only in chapter four, but to, to chapter three, to find out what was the origin of these events. What's the, the ultimate source? It seems at first glance, that, that it all begins because Peter and John, on their way up to the temple, uh, heal 
uh, men who had been lame from birth. It was quite a remarkable thing. He was not lame because of, of some injury or disease that, that occurred later on in life. From birth, he could not walk, and now he could. And he was, he was exhibited in front of the, the whole Sanhedrin, and they were staring at him. They all knew who he was. There was no doubt about his identity. And the question in their minds was not if this really happened. No, 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 they could see that it did. The question was, how did that happen? How did that just happen? And so they called Peter and John in and they asked them, listen, we know that God is, God is more powerful than, than any illness, but what's your connection? Like, how did you heal? How did you heal this man? How did you do that? What is it that is on your list that's not on our list? That's the question. And in chapter 4, Verse 10, um, Peter, very boldly, filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, so if you, want to, if you want us to give an account for an act of kindness shown to a man who was, who was lame, and if you are asking how it was that he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. It's by that name that this man stands before you today healed. The Sanhedrin had noted that Peter and John were two men who had been with Jesus or who were with Jesus. Um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it's a great description of what a disciple is. A disciple is, is somebody who is with Jesus. What does that mean? It simply means Jesus is not only on your list. Now, a lot of people have Jesus on their list. He's not only on your list, but you know who he is. You really know who he is and believe him to be at the top of your list. That's the characteristic of somebody doing life with Jesus. Jesus is on their list, but he's at the top of their list because you know that he is who he says he is. For the disciples, this was not such a strange phenomenon. In John chapter 15, Jesus uses the allegory of a vine to describe what life with him looks like, and that's an allegory that's quite familiar to us here at Vine Baptist Church. In verse 16, he makes a remarkable promise. He says this, and this is a verse that is, that is often, often misunderstood. He says, you can ask whatever you want in my name, and the Father will give it to you. It is a pretty incredible promise, isn't it? You can ask whatever you want in my name, and my Father will give it to you. Now, this has caused quite a bit of confusion amongst Christians for a variety of reasons, but one of the, one of the um, most common ones is the way we unpack that verse. We see it sequentially, horizontally. We see, ah, first there's us, you. Jesus says, you, I, me, you and I. We can ask anything we want in his name and the Father will give it. That's so cool. And, and some Christians have, well, taken that verse and run with it in, in, in ways they never should have. 
Others of us are very, very cautious about that verse. And we're kind of thinking, if you understand it correctly, if that's true, how can that be? The misunderstanding could be explained this way. It's like we're, we're in God's restaurant and uh, there we are sitting at the table wanting to be served and, and we're confusing life in God's restaurant as a la carte, meaning I get to order whatever I want. Click the fingers, Jesus. Uh, I feel like a filet mignon with chocolate mousse on top. Please tell the father to cook it up for me. That's how we understand the verse. We're looking at it horizontally. It all starts with me. What would I like? What are, what are the basic desires of my heart? I ask Jesus. Jesus goes to the Father and he gets it for me. Cool. I love Christianity. That's not what life with Jesus is about. And it's not what, what Jesus meant. Uh, life with him is, is not a la carte whatsoever. In Luke chapter 7, there's a fascinating story about a, a centurion. He's got a servant, uh, a very good servant, and he's, he's ill. And so he sends some of his other servants to Jesus to ask Jesus to heal him. And he actually says this, you don't even need to come to my house. Please don't bother yourself with that. I know how authority works. You don't need to come to my house to heal him. You just say the word and it will be done. You see, and this is what he says, and, and, and Jesus is really... Um, uh, quite taken by the faith of this centurion. And he says, I'm a centurion. I'm under authority and I have authority over others. I can command this person to do this or that person to do that and they must do it. I know how authority works and I know that you have authority just like me. You are under the father's authority and you have authority over all things. So please, would you heal my servant? Jesus is stunned by the centurion's faith, and, and of course he does. He, he heals the servant. And, and right then and there, at that particular time, the servant is, is healed. But it's a great lesson on how to understand the order of things. In terms of power and authority and, and healing, there, there is an order. And this verse in chapter 16 of John 15 is the same. It is not, it all starts with us. Um, ask whatever you want in the name of Jesus, the Father has to give it. No, 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 not at all. It's, it's we can ask whatever it is that we want in Jesus' name and the Father will give it or work it the other way. The Father in heaven has all sorts of gifts that he wants to give to his children. We sometimes talk about that as fruit, and that's actually what the start of the verse talks about. There is all sorts of gifts that the Father wants to give to his children. And he has authorized Jesus to give those gifts out. So if you know who Jesus is and you know his name, then you will receive it. Ask and you will receive. That's the promise. You see, there is an order to things. But for, for the disciples, Peter and John in particular, they understood that the order of thoughts and, and the order of things in, in their life, in their worldview, always resulted in Jesus being at the top of that list. Um, they, they said in verse 10, it's by the name of Jesus, and, and note this, whom you crucified, but God raised to life. That's actually the ground zero point of what created this unstoppable force. It's not just the lame man who was healed. That's significant. But how was he healed? He was healed in the name of Jesus. And how did that have, have effect? That had effect because Jesus had raised him from the dead. 
So Jesus not only had power over illness, he has actually power over death. Our ultimate enemy is death, and Jesus can save us from that. In fact, in verse 12, that's exactly what Peter goes on to say. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. At the top of the list, the very top of their list, was the name Jesus. His was the only name which can bring salvation to to mankind. And they understood that very much. Um, In Philippians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church and and he is talking about the the power and the wonder of of the name Jesus. In in verse 5, he he says, model yourself on Jesus, who in verse 6, who being in the very nature God, though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Then in verse 9, he says, and on that basis, Paul says, therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And all this to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' name is above every other name, every other name. There are names of things. There are names of people. There are are names of situations and ideologies and all sorts of things. There are names of things that are on our list, and they are pushing to have prominence in your thinking. And Paul is saying, you need to put the name of Jesus at the top of your list. It is the name that is above every other name. Jesus is the name that is above the names of illness and disease and viruses, above the name of cancer and mutation and syndrome, above the name of recession and bankruptcy and debt, above the name of unemployment termination and redundancy above the name of abuse, divorce and separation, above the name of depression and anxiety and mental health, above the name of homelessness, helplessness and hopelessness, above the name of sin and guilt and shame. It is the name that is above Every other name, every name that pushes for prominence in your head. And at that name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee will bow to that name. Every knee that has ever bowed to a false god, a false prophet or a false hood will bow before Jesus. Every every knee that has ever bowed to money, to materialism, or to greed, every knee that has ever bowed to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil himself, every knee that has ever bowed to 
an ideology, a ruler, or a world power. Every knee that has ever bowed to a thing, a person, or a thought that raises itself up against God. Every knee that has ever bowed to anything, regardless of what it is, every knee will now bow to Jesus. And then Paul says, and every tongue will confess, ultimately, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue. Every, every lying, slanderous, and blasphemous tongue. Every cheating, deceptive, and manipulative tongue. Every crude and immoral and seductive tongue. Every hateful, demeaning, and destructive tongue. Every arrogant, proud, and envious tongue. Every tongue. Every tongue that has ever spoken a word against God or his people, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Peter and John believed that. They believed the name of Jesus is above every other name and every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They believed it. It characterized their lives. They had Jesus at the top of their list, absolutely number number one. You see, there's an order to things in this world. There's an order to everything. And at the very top of that order is one name. It's the name of Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the name above every other name. My dear friends, um, this is a good time for us to, to reorder the lists that we have in our minds. At times, very, very busy minds. It's a time to revise those lists. Just as there are two ways to, to worship God, there are two ways to worship him by ordering our minds. We can worship God by lifting him up and exalting him or humbling ourselves and lowering ourselves down. Either way, both represent putting Jesus, number one, where he should be. And likewise, in our minds, as we look at the lists of things that concern us, we can, we can worship him and bring order to our minds by exalting Jesus and placing him as number one, but also humbling ourselves and lowering ourselves so that we are not. Paul talks about um, the Christian race as one in which we, we strive towards a crown. A crown that our heavenly Father, with great pleasure, one day will will give to each and every one of us. A crown, after having run the race well, He Himself will place on our on our heads. It's Palm Sunday today. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's going to be a bit of an interesting Easter this year, isn't it? Good Friday, this this coming Friday, and Easter Sunday, and we we look forward to this very very special occasion. But on Palm Sunday, we often think about those crowds um, gathering around Jesus and crying out Hosanna and laying down palm leaves before him. Maybe this is a, 
this is a good time for us to, in worship to him, also lay something down. To take the crowns that, that we anticipate will one day be given to us and to lay them at the feet of Jesus. Each of us laying down our crown before the only one who deserves to be crowned King of all. God bless you.